Welcome to the Feminine Frequency Podcast. I'm your host, Amy from Amy Natalie Co., spiritual teacher, mindset coach, and speaker. I'm here to remind you how to tap into your feminine frequency to elevate your relationships, attract more money, and feel confident in your body. Each week, I'll be sharing wisdom from guest experts and guided meditations, along with my favorite spiritual mindset techniques so that you can access abundance, love, and manifest a life that is in alignment with your soul's true desires. Let's do this, sister. Hello, beautiful soul, and welcome to this episode of the Feminine Frequency Podcast. I am so grateful to be here with you today and am excited to share this really powerful and moving conversation with my guest, Christine Carlson. Today, we are going to be talking about all things reinventing yourself after grief and loss. And Christine is such a beautiful embodiment of what that means and what that can look like in your life. So Christine Carlson is a New York Times bestselling author and a renowned speaker recognized worldwide for the global success of the Don't Sweat Your Small Stuff book series that she co-authored with her late husband, Dr. Richard Carlson. With over 30 million books in print, Christine has emerged today as a leading mindfulness expert and transformational guide who has been featured on national radio and television broadcasts, including the Today Show, The View, and the Oprah Winfrey Show. Through her beloved women's retreats, including her signature What Now program, Christine serves as a guide for women navigating transition and change of all kinds, showing them how to live their most vibrant, joyous, and fulfilling life in their next chapter. Her popular podcast, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff, allows her depth, realness, and ever-present humor to shine through in each memorable episode. Christine's mission is to help women reclaim their identity and live their next chapter with renewed joy, gratitude, and purpose in the midst of life-altering change. I know that Christine's story is going to be so empowering and inspiring for you. She has deep feminine wisdom, and we both share such a passion for bringing women together in sisterhood for healing and growth. And I do want to give you a heads up that there are a few places in this episode where the audio is not the highest quality. So that's because the the connection when we recorded it wasn't perfect. So I just want to let you know that and encourage you to stick with it. There are so many gems in this episode and it is totally worth being patient and moving through the imperfection. So thank you for being here and enjoy this conversation. Hello, Christine, and welcome to the Feminine Frequency Podcast. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited for our conversation today. I have been really, you know, diving deep into the work that you do. And we shared before we hopped on live that there is so much alignment in in the messaging and in the, the healing work that we do with women. And so I'm really excited to have your perspective and most importantly, I think the the wisdom from your own 
embodied journey from what you have lived in your life. And I feel like that's where the most powerful teachings come from. I think a lot of us have similar teachings because we, we are all tapped into consciousness and oneness, but each of us have our own individual journeys and our own stories. And you happen to have a a really powerful story and have been on quite the journey. So I'd love for you to just start by, by sharing, you know, what, what your life was like before your, you know, big, big experience in, in losing your husband and this transformation that you had to go through and, and kind of walk us through what the transformation has been for you through that life-changing experience. Yeah. So my late husband and I met in college. So we were high school sweethearts, very young, fell in love pretty instantly. Fairy tale kind of, you know, love romance. Got married after I graduated from college and we just, you know, began building our lives together as everyone does when they marry. And Richard had a very interesting about face right before our marriage, he was getting his master's and PhD and well, no, he's getting his PhD in business in business school. And he just did an about face. He said, I don't want to go into business, like financial planning kinds of business. I'm a healer. And he basically um, dropped that program six classes before his MBA. And he went into the Ida Rolf Institute in Boulder, Colorado, and became a rolfer. And so he really began his um, studies with the body and understanding the body. And then um, right at the time that he became a rolfer, he decided that that wasn't going to be his end game. So he decided he would get his master's and PhD in psychology while he was doing a rolfing practice. And at the time, I had a graphic design, and I also had gotten massage certification program. And we had lived a very, I mean, an oddly weird college life where we had, we were in LA and going to Pepperdine University, which is a very conservative Christian college. And we got really immersed in the new age movement. (laughs) So we had, we had this very um, polarity kind of experience of, of spirituality. We had religion, which we were And then we had this very rich spiritual life, which we were beginning to investigate at a very young age. And so we began to be meditators and we did every kinds of modality of therapy you can imagine from flotation tanks to this thing called the gram potentializer to (laughs) deep breathing, you know, like Reikian breath work to holotropic breath work. I mean, you name it. I don't think there was a modality of healing that we hadn't tried by the time we were 22 years old. <laughs> wow. Yeah. We were into crystals and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, just really on a spiritual journey and quest together, which was such a beautiful, mm. um, incredibly beautifully rich time in our lives. And then we got married and we had our first child about four years into our marriage, jazz. And that really changed our lives. Like it does for everyone, (laughs) you know, gone were the wake up and meditate every morning. You know, we were waking up and changing diapers and breastfeeding and, you know, in the throes of family life. Um, But Richard did get his master's and PhD in psychology and he realized to um, do 
he didn't want to do traditional therapy. He wanted to help people in different ways. And he began to write and he started his writing career. And it took about 10 years and 10 books before he really hit the big times with Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And, you know, I would, I, it was a surprise and it wasn't a surprise. You know, Richard was just this amazing man and he was just an incredible college athlete for one. He was number one at Pepperdine and the number one tennis team in the nation. And, you know, you, you oftentimes you can see that people who have been highly successful in one area of their lives and have had that drive and that intention and that work ethic and also the talent and skill to persevere that transcends into other areas of their lives if they know how to do that. And he certainly did. So he, he could plan and he could um, live presently, but also he worked very hard. Um, the success that he received in his life was not given to him. It was work. He worked very hard for it, but it was incredible. So his 10th book was Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And he had been on a very pioneering kind of um, quest in a lot of ways to write about happiness. This was, I mean, this was 25, 30 years ago now. So he was one of the very first authors to ever write about happiness. And we both learned a, a very unique form of psychology called psychology of mind. It was where the East kind of met the West. The principles that we learned through that um, kind of psychology were really articulated I think for Richard, what he um, knew to be true for himself. And that was for him, you know, he, he didn't have to, he didn't suffer a lot of trauma in his life, a little bit, of course, he had some trauma, but not a lot. And so he, he didn't really believe necessarily for a lot of people that traditional psychology was the route that would really get them to happiness. Now that said, he did believe that, you know, for people who had bipolar disorder or chemical imbalances or for people who needed deep cognitive therapy, it could be incredibly helpful. But he thought for the masses, what would be more helpful would be to teach them really how their mind works and how they could shift their mindset and, and how they could, happiness was the internal game in your mind. And so we learned that together and we practiced it. And that's why when he invited me to write with him and don't in the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff series, I was pretty capable of doing that because I had studied and lived alongside of him, even though I didn't have the master's and PhD in psychology, all the same principles that he had. And, um, and that was our journey. We had just an incredible marriage, um, two incredible daughters. You know, we used to say that we had a lot of issues in life, but not with each other. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so we had this really beautiful marriage. And then about 10 years into Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, um, I was 43, Richard was 45, and we were at the peak of our career and, and the peak of our lives in a lot of ways um, to daughters in high school at that time. Richard wasn't feeling well the week before he died, but he was on a book tour and he was kind of a push hard kind of guy, you know, and he got on a plane, early flight to New York one morning, and he was going to promote his latest book. And on the descent of that flight, he um, died suddenly from a pulmonary embolism, which was not anything we ever anticipated or expected. And I'm sure he was as surprised in a lot of ways when he what had happened. 
So it, it changed the trajectory of our lives. And certainly we weren't sweating the small stuff anymore. <laughs> we were living the big stuff, you know, which that was the beginning of a new life for me and my daughters, for sure. Mm, yeah. Thank you for, for sharing what your relationship was like with Richard and what a beautiful blessing that you got to experience those years together and, and have that beautiful bond and that now you get to live the legacy and, and share his story. And I can feel when you, I can feel when you talk about him, how much admiration and care and and love that you have in your heart. And, you know, I, I think that that experience, especially unexpectedly losing your, your soulmate, unexpectedly losing your partner, you know, that, that is, is something that we can never even kind of wrap our heads around. So what was that, that journey like for you in, I guess you could say that the healing and like, you know, I think in those moments, you're like, how can I actually go on? Like, what, what is life? You know, if, if something like this happens, such a tragedy, yeah. What was that? What was that? like for you to, to find your, your footing and to, to really move forward in your life? Well, you know, I always say that when Richard died at 10,000 feet, it was like I was thrown out of the airplane too, and did the free fall, you know, and it, it very much felt like, well, let's just say all of the work that I had done, all the spiritual work, all of the spiritual understanding, all of the tools and the um, everything, my tool belt was put to use. (laughs) And I immediately, you know, I mean, like anybody, I immediately had to, you know, deal with the shock of sudden loss. And I had to, you know, be a mom and be a widow all at once. And it it was, it was really hard. It was, it's the hardest thing that we go through in the human body is to go through heartbreak and loss and losing the people we love. And, you know, it's, it's, it truly is a traumatic crisis and through crisis though, transformation is possible. I did realize very early on that I had to choose really with a lot of intention to get up every day and to do my best and put my best put, foot forward every single day while I was grieving. The, the ironic thing about it is that it reminded me so much of giving birth to my daughters. Uh, while that was a much shorter process than grieving the loss of my husband, it had some real similarities to it. Even the waves of grief are very much like contractions. And then I saw that as these contractions of grief happened, I was opening up. And as I was opening up, I was birthing a new identity and a new life and even waking up, awakening to what was present and being so much more engaged in life than I had been previously. And, you know, I never would have thought or considered myself an asleep kind of person. But I think until you've gone through something like that, where your life is really shattered, you you don't realize that maybe you have built up a wall around your heart. And I certainly had, and I certainly, my loss and and in my heartbreak, that whole wall came completely apart. And what I found very fascinating was that 
I had really been heartbroken open to living more awake to life and to feeling life and that I hadn't been feeling. I used to wonder like Richard could, he could cry a joy. And I'm like, why are you crying? You know, like I just didn't have that. Like I, I didn't have that same connection to my heart that he did at that point. And I used to wonder like, how does somebody feel that deeply that they can cry tears of joy? And, and then when he died, I had been broken open and I understood like that for the first time I had been putting this wall around my heart and that I could feel so much more life. And I just, it, it was a real blessing. It was a real gift. And oftentimes what's come out of me and what came out in my journal was that, my God, this is the weirdest experience. Richard died and it's like his death breathed new life into me. How is that possible? Mm, yeah, I got chills when you shared that. And I don't think there is a, a logical answer to it, right? And I, I love that the name of your book, which is what you just shared, or one of your books, right? Heartbroken Open. And I think all of the the journey that you had been on up until that point had essentially prepared you as, as best as you can. There's no nothing to prepare you for something like that. But having that spiritual toolkit. And, and like you said, having that understanding that you get to grieve and you also get to show up. And one of the things that you talk about is being like the hero of your own journey, because I can only imagine that when you have tragedy, such as, you know, losing your husband, that it can be easy to fall into being a victim of life and why me and why is this happening and, and, and get stuck in that, you know, it's a trauma. It's a huge trauma that you experience. So I'd love for you to talk about what does that mean to become the, the hero of, of your own journey, your own life, and really choosing to wake up and, and make that empowered decision every day. You know, I think, um, just to highlight what you just said, that the power decision that you have to choose every day is really the important thing. I mean, you know, I say be choose to be the hero over being the victim, but what I want all the listeners to understand is that we have to, we vacillate, you know, and, and you have to give yourself space to feel where you are. And sometimes you wake up and you just feel like, I can't do this today. You know, I'm I, I'm battered by this, you know, and and yet even the smallest step forward is choosing to be the hero. You know, like I felt like the best sometimes I could do is put my feet on the ground in the morning and get dressed and get my kids off to school and come back home. But that is choosing to be the hero because I was knowing that I had to, you know, do what needed to be done, but I had to also allow myself to feel. And I had to, I knew that the feeling going through the feelings, going through the emotional response to loss, which is what grief is, was going to heal me. And the more I did it, the more I would heal. And the more I cried, the more I would empty. The funny thing was about emotional connection to the body. Based on all of our spiritual studies, all those years in Richard's Rolfing career and and getting my my certification in massage and you know just our understanding a lot of our um, Louise Hay study way before you know Louise Hay became Hay House you know she was always in in the field as far as um, the connection to the emotional body and our 
you know, our psychological connection to our emotional body. And so I pretty much aware that my body had its own intelligence. And so I started to really listen to my body and I started to realize crying was always a really, wasn't an easy thing for me to do, but I knew that I needed to cry. And when my stomach would start to hurt, I would know that I hadn't been crying enough. And then I would lay on the floor and allow myself to shake, to get the energy going, to let myself tune into whatever I was feeling. And then I would cry. And then I would just be like, so peaceful. Like, I'd be like, oh my God, I'm being rewarded right now. Like this is almost like bliss, you know, because I've given in, surrendered and allowed for myself to feel these feelings and gone through the motions, emotions, emoting out, expressing. And then what is placed is something very beautiful and it's very peaceful. And I think that we can all learn that, that our bodies train us. And if we listen, our bodies, our bodies don't lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> our bodies are our real mechanism for letting us know where we're at um, in our, you know, in our minds. And, and so I thought that that was just such a, a miraculous um, connection that was very clear to me from pretty early on. I was really blessed in a lot of ways to understand so much of you know, even my spiritual nature, one of the things that I, I really knew in my heart was that if I opened myself up, I would connect to Richard where he was. And so to me, death became even less like an ending and more like a continuation. And, and in those first few years, he was very, very powerfully with me, incredibly powerfully with me. And almost like to the point where I could feel that contraction. So in the first couple of years after he passed, I really felt his presence so, so strongly. And I could feel him expand and contract. It was just, it was the most wild ride. It was almost as if I was straddling this universe and the universe where he was. And it was beautiful too. It, it, it was as if death stopped being an ending and it really began to be more of a continuation that I could really begin to understand that when we die, we really do just leave our body behind and we transcend and we still exist. And, and I always say to people, you know, if, if you lose somebody that you love and they're very, very close to you and they could be anywhere, where do you think they'd spend most of their time? (laughs) They're going to be with you, you know, unless they don't feel wanted or they don't feel like it's the right thing. You know, I think just my experience with mediums and so forth has really taught me that um, the world of spirit is very much subject to invitation. Like you, you must invite your ancestors and your loved ones and your angel guides and, and your guides to be active in your life. And if you do, then they are, and and they 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 want that invitation from you, and they want that um, connection to you. So it is it's been a very rich and full experience. Um, loss has been for me, and the healing journey was all about really learning to surrender and trust, and to feel to heal, and allow healing to take place. Um, it taught me how to be a masterful crier. Although I still know I'm bad. 
I mean, mostly I'm just a very joy-filled human. Um, and I've discovered that's probably why I connect to joy a lot easier. But but grief taught me such. And I did um, really learn that grief is not meant to be the enemy. Grief is meant to be the friend for a short, short meaning. I mean, for me, I, I definitely, for about two or three years and grieved really for probably 10 years. But by about the 10th year after, you know, a 25 year relationship, that's about right for a that really loves her husband, 10 to 15 years. Hmm. Where she's, you know, she's in a, that very tender, fertile ground of, of that comes and happens through loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love this concept that you're sharing about the feel to heal and, and specifically how you describe like that prior to Richard's death, having you feeling or, or seeing that there was kind of a block when it came to your emotions or to, to really feeling and that, that this cracked you open to deeper levels and layers of emotions and, and feeling that. And, and I think that many people can relate to that for one reason or another, whether it is because of past trauma or because of societal conditioning around feelings and emotions and what that means that we often do suppress and, and, and not allow ourselves to, to go to those places. And of course, specifically grief, you know, I I've experienced grief in in the passing of, of my grandparents, but also specifically in relationships ending, you know, deep, deep love and, and, and having heartbreak. And it's, I think that that feeling of grief is one of the most painful, deep experiences that can be all consuming, all encompassing and, and really, really scary to actually go into. And I love what you shared about this understanding that when we do cry, when we do let ourselves go there and feel that it's actually an emptying, it's a, it's a releasing and it's, it then allows create and create space for, for more connectivity, for more openness, for more expansion. And, and what you said, it's almost like this reward. Yeah. More joy. And it's almost this, this reward of like, Oh, you're actually feeling and you're letting yourself have this human experience. And, and then on the other side of that is always an opening. It's not this I mean, when you're in grief, it feels like an endless pit of grief for sure. Um, but there, there is joy on the other side. And, and it, like you said, it's, it's going through the emotion, feeling the emotion and, and really sharing, you know, you don't have to do that alone. I think that's why both you and I create such healing spaces and work with women uh, because we're not actually meant to do it alone. I know on my, anytime that I've been through any major life experiences that that's when I lean into sisterhood, that's when I lean into support and community. And there can be a lot of shame around not being put together or, you know, grieving or, you know, just not being yourself and not being joyful all the time. But what I've found is that when we let other people see us in our vulnerability and our messiness and our not put togetherness, that that's actually where true intimacy and connection happens. So I know that you create really healing spaces, specifically retreats and, and, and coaching programs for women. And I'd love for you to share just a little bit about the power of that, of, of women healing in community and, and the power of that, that sisterhood connection. 
Yeah, I mean, just like you, I've just, I've found that when women gather with the intention of connecting and to be supportive, it's it's really, as long as you set up a really safe container and space for them to go through their healing, do it. It's almost like a quantum leap they go through in a weekend. You know, it's kind of crazy. I mean, watch people come in and, and to the retreat and everyone's a little bit uptight. Like, what did I choose here? <laughs> and then by the end of the weekend, you know, perfect strangers are walking arm and they're you know, so close and, and so supportive of one another. The light comes back into the eyes of women who have lost a piece of themselves. Um, and we just all do this by offering, you know, that, that great listening, um, that great attentiveness, um, the power of connectivity and circle together. I mean, it's, it's been the highlight it's of my work, really. I, I decided along ago, maybe over a decade ago, that where did I want to play in the world of, of, you know, feminine leadership? And I just, you know, I decided that, well, I have a lot of informal training by a lot of the programs that I've, you know, I, I've, I was in personal development my whole life, not only as a leader, but as a participant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I was always doing a workshop or, a, you know, I always, I was a workshop junkie. So I was always doing retreats and workshops and, and, and things. And so I just decided that. I would create a program for women who are going through change and transition based on my own journey. And then I remember my very first retreat. It was amazing. I was like, oh my God, this actually worked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and and it just has grown from there. And I, I keep my retreats very small. Um, I like a very intimate feel. Usually my retreats are eight to 20 participants max. And then I have a team of four people um, that come on my retreats. And I usually bring a yoga teacher. Um, I'm not trained in yoga myself. Um, I do a lot of other activities. So I, I've never gotten trained. So I always bring a yoga teacher because I feel like yoga is yoga and meditation are paramount to that initial grounding and opening that, you know, happens for women. And it's very mm-hmm. gentle yoga, though. It's not not like a yoga retreat or anything. And then, you know, we open our circle very connecting. I have, you know, just all these different things that I do now. And it's just part of the retreat experience. I still maintain that sense of intuitive healing where I don't create such a structure where it, it has a lot of flow to it. A lot of, a lot of what is called to and these um, for healing happens on the spot. And yeah, it's powerful. And I, I'm so glad to hear you love that work too, because it's really, it's, it's the most profound work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a, a full, I'm having a full, full body experience here and, and really feeling into like the timeliness of us connecting and of this conversation, because it was only a few weeks ago where I was on a retreat and I really got this deeper clarity on exactly what you were sharing of like, this is how I want to serve and, and specifically bringing women together in person, in community, the the healing and transformation that's available in those spaces is different than anything I've ever seen. And I've experienced it firsthand and witnessed, like you said, women walking in and then walking out with a new sense of light and a new sense of life. And there, there's no real words to explain like how it actually happens, but 
I feel like, you know, what you shared about creating the space that the, the mantra that keeps coming through as I started to plan my client retreat and my next retreat is create space for magic, creating the space for the healing, Mm -hmm. for the magic, because it's not about me and it's not about you. And yes, we hold the space and yes, we create, you know, the, the space for transformation to occur, but the, the healing is through the connection. The healing is through source energy. It, it's not, it's not about the exact exercises that you're doing or the activity that you're doing. And so, yeah, I'm so grateful that you're doing that work. And I know how much dedication and devotion it takes to host retreats and to, to, to be a leader in this space. So thank you for the work that you're doing and for, the listeners who want to find out more about your retreats and your program, if they're going through a transition or if they just really resonate with your energy and, and your message, where it's the, what's the best place for them to find you? Probably my website, christinecarlson.com. That's okay. the best. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. We'll, we'll include that in the show notes and thank you again for being here. Thank you for sharing your story and Yeah, I'm looking forward to continue following along with your work. Me too. I'm looking forward to listening to more of your podcasts. They're wonderful. Thank you (laughs) for the work that you're doing. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in today. If you found value from this conversation, I invite you to take a screenshot and share it on Instagram. You can tag me at Amy Natalie Co. I always love hearing from you. Send me a message. Let me know your takeaways. Also, I have a beautiful free gift for you. If you have not already downloaded the Empowered Feminine Morning Ritual, it is a 20-minute audio guide for you to listen to in the morning to start your day feeling empowered and embodied. You can find the link for that recording in the show notes. And lastly, if you are a regular listener here and you enjoy this podcast, I invite you to leave a rating and a review This is the best way to support this podcast in reaching more women around the world. To leave a rating and a review, you can scroll down on the podcast app on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes and leave a quick review to share what you love most about this podcast and how it has impacted your life. Thanks again for being here and we'll see you next Monday for another episode of The Feminine Frequency. 